0: we'll turn with me in your bibles to galatians chapter 2 and verse 11 and i couldn't think of a starker contrast between what we will read right now after seeing the great unity of the apostles last week. Polar opposites today. Remember, Paul, Barnabas, Titus, Peter, James, John, we're all unified together and on the same gospel page and we were encouraged by their unity. They were together against the false gospels. The false teachers, the false brothers who secretly swept in to spy out their freedom. Now, what we're going to see today is a head-to-head confrontation between Peter and Paul. And we're going to witness an unthinkable inconsistency, not only from the apostle Peter, but many Jewish believers and even Barnabas, Paul's closest co-worker, even Barnabas himself. So Galatians 2, and would just stand with me for the reading of God's Word as we see what God has for us today in the book of Galatians. Galatians 2 in verse 11 says this, this is God's Word. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came together, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew," Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You may be seated. Father, we all are hungry for your word, and we want to see what you would have for us today from the Bible. We're thankful that all of Scripture is inspired And we're thankful, Lord, that you give us messages about practical things of life and church and ministry. That even when brothers and sisters in Christ go astray, that there's a vision and a biblical direction for how correction is made to go forward. Would you help us all to see the implications from your word that you have to us? Lord, we wouldn't choose these topics on our own. But your word directs us to exactly what we need each and every week from your word. Because your word is powerful. Your word transforms lives. And whatever you give us is what we want and desire. Help us to see your word today and be helped. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you know, in just a few minutes... We will be eating together out there in the fellowship hall for our Christmas carry-in meal. And I figured here right off the bat that I might give us some instructions before our time together so we are ready to go right after service, okay? Because I know we're all hungry and we want to get over there and eat the good turkey and things of that nature. Now, I've shared with you over the last few weeks how excited I and the rest of the Pellichowski family are for this Christmas season. From the music to the decorations and all the festivities, remembering Christ's birth. And as you can see today, I'm even wearing a red Christmas tie as I preach in light of the season we're in. So here are the instructions for us all. Listen up. This is going to pertain to each and every last one of you. What we're going to do after the service is to have everyone here today that wore Christmas colors or Christmas-related clothing like myself. I got my tie. We will have everybody in that situation be dismissed to get their food first and to sit in the fellowship hall where all the tables are set up nicely as you saw when you came in. If you're wearing Christmas stuff, whether it's Christmas socks or anything of that nature, there's our instructions. The rest of you heathens who didn't wear the Christmas clothing, it doesn't have any Christmassy stuff on, you will go through the line second and take your food downstairs in the youth room or any of the other tables, there's some other tables. There's plenty of places for you to, to sit. And, and you will all eat together down there. <laughs> some of you are looking at me a little bit sideways. Some of you are looking to borrow my tie. And since I'm pastor, I'm going to have to give it to you. So we can at least get one more in to the, to the fellowship meal. But... Before you take me down, tackle me after service, or anything like that, let me assure us all these potluck fellowship meal instructions that I just get, gave are, of course, not real, okay? Uh, I'm not gonna separate us up like that. But this hopefully gets us all thinking along the lines of the kind of utter, inconsistent, unchristian, offensive behavior that was going on in. Antioch. Some of you got a little bit of a glimpse just now what Christians in the church of Antioch would have felt because of ungodly, unchristian, hypocritical behavior of influential leaders. Those of you who aren't wearing any Christmas colors, you may have felt a little bit like the Gentile Christians felt in Antioch. Those of you who are wearing Christmas colors, and I, I see you out there. If you actually went along with this whole plan, would have seen a little bit what it would have been like to be a part of the Jewish Christians in Antioch. Kind of like Peter and Barnabas and rest of them here. This whole scene that we just read. I hope you can see, is a a huge mess. The contrast between the unity and the encouragement and all that to this, it's just huge. I want you to see it. And there is so much dangerous threats going on at the hands of even genuine believers that if Paul had not warned about the dangers going on here in Antioch, there would have been a racial church split there between the Jewish and Gentile Christians, and the gospel witness there would have been eradicated. The stakes are high. So I want us to see and to look at three dangers that Paul identifies here in these first few verses that we just read, to learn the mistakes and the sins of the church of Antioch so that we can avoid them here at our church in Gallatin. So this leads us to danger number one. And that is the danger of man fearing hypocrisy. Look with me again in your Bibles to verse 11 and 12. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James... He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You see, if we acted out my directions that I just gave us, we would be acting in an inconsistent way that we as a church have never acted in any other fellowship meals here at At First Baptist Church. Now, I haven't been here as long as some of you, but I'm guessing we've never done anything like that before. Since we always sit together, there's no separating ourselves in these meals. This is right, we know that. So we'd be different than we would normally act. That's the same thing going on here in the church of Antioch. Now, Antioch was an influential church if you remember from last week, where Paul and Barnabas helped establish and and strengthen. They were sent even, as we saw, from Antioch to the church of Jerusalem for the private meeting amongst the apostles that we saw, that wonderful meeting where they gave this financial gift and the encouraging unity was displayed. Antioch was the place where the church uh, that, that... they sent actually Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys to to preach the gospel to Gentiles where they preached even to the the churches uh, that are mentioned and in view in the church of Galatia that this letter that we're in is written to. And sometime after the private meeting that we saw last week in Jerusalem where Paul went to Jerusalem and talked with the apostles, sometimes after that, They got on the same page that they were preaching the same gospel together and unified. After that, Peter made a trip and a similar visit back towards Antioch. And when this pillar apostle Peter, who was a bigwig, right? He was a big deal. When he came to Antioch, instead of bringing unity and encouragement, he created division and hostility because of his cowardly hypocrisy. Does that sound familiar about Peter? He's the disciple who denied Jesus three times when he was met with the fear of being seized as Jesus was seized. Now he's causing great division in the church of Antioch because of his besetting sin of the fear of of man. Hear this, church. Peter was not just subtly changing his behavior a little bit. He was unmistakably acting in racist ways by excluding Gentile believers from table fellowship and by failing to eat with blood-bought Christians out of fear, He denied his Lord out of fear and he denied by implication the gospel by his hypocritical, racist actions and fear here as well. Fear is a powerful motivator, isn't it? And being fearful about what other people think of us is just a common human problem in our day. In the history of the world, in his book titled, When People Are Big But God Is Small, Ed Welch wrote, fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. It's a challenge for us all. And because it's such a common problem, we need to learn something here, each of us, about Peter's sinful mistake and sinful action. So after this unifying meeting amongst Paul and Peter, when Paul visited Jerusalem, we saw last week, Peter and Paul have a far less encouraging meeting here in Antioch. When Peter visits Paul and the church here in Antioch. It's, it's a different meeting, right? The text, what, which we just read, said that Paul does what? He opposed Peter to his face. Because Peter stood condemned by his actions. Man to man, face to face, two leaders squaring off in front of the entire church there. Now you might be thinking, this seems a little extreme over eating arrangements. But as Derek Thomas helpfully put it, more is at stake here than table manners. And he said that these were more than just personal tastes. Do I like my steak rare or medium rare or well done? It was a matter of obedience to the Jewish law that was going on here. But here's the thing. Peter knew better. For one, Peter just recently defended Gentile Christian Titus, remember that last week we saw? Over the pressure of him being circumcised and adding Jewish law to his context, right there in Jerusalem, Peter stood up to the error there. And though Peter and Paul and the rest may not have spent a lot of time talking about the issue of food in that private meeting that we saw last week, If you recall from your reading of the book of Acts, maybe in your daily Bible reading, Peter was actually given a vision prior to all this. He was given a vision from God regarding food laws and regarding the Gentiles, which the Gentiles were the non-Jewish people, right? You have the Jews and you have the Gentiles, right? He was given a vision about all this. He should have known. Let's see it for ourselves in Acts chapter 10. Turn there or see it on the screen. Acts chapter 10 and verses 9 through 16. I want you to see this progression here. It's important. It says this, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance And saw the heavens opened up, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You see the context of how food and and things of this nature was such a big deal in this this Jewish context. He had never even thought about eating something unclean. This is a big thing for Peter. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up once to have an amazing vision here. And we see in verses 34 to 35, Peter even reveals that he understood what was going on, and he, he learns a, a lesson here in this miraculous vision, and here it is. He says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God what, shows no partiality, but in every nation, every nation, Jews and Gentiles, right? Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He's learning his lesson. This is all before this, what we're seeing in Galatians here. And then he even sees that God saves Gentiles, and he sees them saved before his very eyes in this whole ordeal. As he preaches to them the gospel. In Acts 10, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, as he's explaining all that happened, he's explaining the, the, the visions and Cornelius and all these things going on, what happens? The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from amongst the circumcised, this is the Jews, Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, what? Even on the Gentiles. Gentiles are being saved before Peter's eyes. And not only should Peter have known this reality, which he did, he was acting inconsistent, he really knew it. Not only that, but Peter, you see, faced the same pressure before when other Jewish-believing Christians stood up to him to confront him about being with and eating with Gentiles. He had detractors before, and I want to see the detractors here in Acts 11 and verses 2 through 4. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he goes and explains division and explains all that happened. He's making a defense for what he did. Those of the circumcision party here, not to be mistaken with Judaizers. Judaizers are the ones who were saying you have to be circumcised and things like that to get saved. Those of the circumcision parties were just simply Jewish Christians who, if we're just to be honest, these things are changing every day in the early church. They were still trying to figure out all of the implications of the gospel. Just like Peter just figured it out there with this vision he didn't know before God was revealing it to to the church. There are so many different new implications coming, so they were just kind of confused. But Peter explained to them the vision and the fact that God saves Gentiles now and that food laws are no longer... Enforce like they were in the old covenant. And here's Peter's wonderful conclusion that he gives to these Jewish Christians who were skeptical about this and outraged. I want you to see his conclusion and I want you to see how they receive it as well. This is important. Acts 11.17 says, If then God gave the same gift to them, talking about the Gentiles, as he gave to us, talking about the Jews, when we believed the Lord Jesus Christ Who was I that I could stand against God's way? Who was I? When they heard these things, they fell silent. His audience, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. I show you all that because Peter knew better. Peter was bold and defended the gospel implications As it relates to the Gentiles and as it relates to food to those Jerusalem people of the circumcision party then after this great vision that he had. But see how quickly Peter forgets. Remember, he tells Jesus, no, Lord, may it never be. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to deny you. And what does he do? Moments later, deny, deny, deny. This is Peter. So he should have known and he did know. But look at how quickly... It faded to the back of his, all, of his mind here, and how he faded back to his old man-pleasing ways, the time, circumstances, and events changed here in Antioch. He's in Antioch now, and the Jewish Christians who were associated with James, who's the leader of the Jerusalem church, came to this flourishing church in Antioch. Let's see Galatians 2.13 again. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. That's Peter's eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Peter knew better. But the fear of man got the best of him, didn't it? If the fear of man can get the best of the Apostle Peter, you better believe that it's a threat to us here in our church as well. To me, to you, to all of us. The passage doesn't even indicate here that the circumcision party said even a word to Peter. We don't really know all of the aspects that were going on. And Paul is not rebuking James somehow, but... He is rebuking Peter. He's, he's going after Peter, and he's correcting Peter for his erroneous ways. And regardless of all the reasons that Peter may have been tripped up and afraid at this point, which we could only speculate on all the different nuances, the take-home point here that we need to see is that Peter was dead wrong for his behavior. And he acted in ways that was really a slap in the face to his Gentile Christian friends who he ate with freely and regularly, even in public. And Peter probably enjoyed the non-kosher type foods like pork or lobster or different things that he would have never dreamed of. He'd never touched his lips. He never even thought about eating it. He, 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 after that vision, he's fellowshipping with Gentiles and eating their food and engaging with them because of all that God had done. But now he's acting hypocritically, different than he normally acted. He changed his ways when other people came around. And I want you to see how much it hurt the church. In more than one ways, it hurt the church. For not only were the Gentile Christians isolated and made to feel like second-class citizens, or maybe that they weren't even saved. They just would have felt terrible. But Peter's bad example also, it rubbed off, didn't it? on others as well. And others were deceived by him and acting in racist ways with him as others were avoiding the Gentile believers and not eating meals with them. And even likely, it's it's very likely that they were not even taking the Lord's Supper together with the Gentiles as a church. This is serious church division going on here and this leads us to our second danger and danger number two. The danger of hypocritical influence. Look at verse 13 now for this. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Sometimes we can act like our own personal actions won't harm anyone else, right? It's just between us and the Lord. So get off my back already. But in the church, our individual actions actually influence others more than we'd like to admit and think. Peter, who was a pretty influential leader in the church, a pillar apostle, he had a big, huge influence. And Peter's ungodly, racist actions withdrawing from table fellowship with Gentiles, what did it do? It rubbed off on other people around him. You've heard the saying go, be careful about the company you keep, right? Oh, how humbling it is that here the bad example and the bad company was an apostle and a pillar and leader Of the church, you see, Paul here gives us his key, kind of linchpin argument, to show that he was just as much an apostle as the other Jerusalem apostles. You see, it's kind of coming to a head here, and that he didn't get the gospel from them, and he didn't get his message from them. In fact, he's he's even teaching and rebuking and confronting one of the leader apostles here in a public way. And he confronts and he addresses this because Peter's influence of hypocritical living had created a following and a similar behavior amongst the other Jewish Christians in Antioch. And Antioch was a church that was composed of, of many Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians together. And they were fellowshipping together And when you have this big wig apostle like Peter come and create some inconsistent example here, how are you going to kind of compete with that? People are going to be influenced. Problems are going to happen. And even Barnabas here, the son of encouragement, who did ministry earlier in this very church. He loved the people in the church of Antioch. He was a pastor-like figure to them, along with the apostle Paul. He taught them for over a year at once with Paul, if you remember, as we saw last week in the book of Acts. And he taught them at other times. Even Barnabas was influenced and sinned by acting like Peter and withdrawing from table fellowship. You see how the influence our influence could have a huge impact. If Peter and the other Jewish Christians and Barnabas can all get carried away and off by the fear of man in this insidious practice of showing favoritism, then so can we. We just got to be careful here. We got to see what our influence is. We need to realize here that not only is fear of others' opinions upon us so powerful in destructive ways sometimes in our personal lives, but that our example and how we live our lives makes more of an impact on those around us than we're usually aware. Parents, you know this. You know this. Those of you with children, you see that influence and impact on those kids. They mimic you. They see your behavior. They don't just see your words. They see how you act. Think of your influence of others in this church. If you're a member of this church, you make an impact to others, good or bad. And if you're a leader in this church and various ministries throughout the church, think not only on what you say and how what you say impacts others, but also in how you act and what you do. Are you acting hypocritically in any ways in your practices and behaviors? Examine yourself now. If you get with one group, for instance, let's say your non-Christian friends, do you act more like them than you do when you're, than you act like a Christian in front of them? Do you change your actions? You can see how this kind of thing can happen in the temptation. Don't be a, a hypocrite and just act the part based on your surroundings and audience changing from group to group. Or maybe when you're around people that you're really comfortable with, that you're friends with, you've been friends with for a long time, and then all of a sudden your lips and what you talk about becomes looser. And who you talk about and the way that you talk about them could even slip into sinful arrogance and pride. Be careful how you interact because your witness and your example is at stake, church. This is a warning we're learning here. And also beware of the subtle ways that the fear of man and different changing circumstances can throw you off and and quote cause you to behave in ways that make a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also make a lasting negative impact on others around you. And on that note, that leads us to our final point in danger number three. The danger of gospel denying conduct. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 14 now for this. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you... Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul wisely was able to see through the issues and spot the hypocritical, racist actions of Peter, Barnabas, and the rest of the Jewish Christians. And then Paul didn't just only just take note of it and see it, recognize it. Sometimes we notice sinful behaviors all around us, right? But I want you to see here that just noticing it is not enough. Paul not only wisely noticed it, but he boldly confronted the sin as well. Paul didn't just see it and then just gossip about it with somebody else, talk about how terrible the Uh, Peter was acting in the church and have little side conversations. No, no, no. That would have actually been Paul behaving in gospel-denying conduct himself if he had done that. No, Paul didn't do that, thankfully. He didn't do that at all. What did he do? He went face-to-face, man-to-man, and addressed Peter, as well as all of them who were acting hypocritically. He did it before them all publicly. As the English evangelical preacher of the 17 and 1800s, Charles Simeon put it, "It was necessary that the reproof should be as public as the offense." Hence, when all the church was assembled, Paul took occasion to reprove. Normally, in, in in everyday sins amongst believers that would happen and that we notice, we would go directly address them to their to them first and then, but, but this, this practice was so insidious by a leader and the text doesn't tell whether Paul had any other conversations with him or not, but, but you see the, the public offense needed to be dealt with publicly and not just swept under the rug because the damage had been done. As Derek Thomas gets our imaginations going when he wrote, this is what he wrote about this, the apostle to the Gentiles, which is Paul, right? And the apostle to the Jews, which is Peter, have a very public clash in which one accuses the other of the most flagrant hypocrisy. Picture the scene. Imagine a meal. Maybe even a public meal that we have here after our church. Imagine a meal like that. Paul goes up to Peter and the two are standing face to face Serious words are spoken and raised voices as a conflict and everyone has stopped eating and they're, they're in silence. Imagine that. The tension here could almost be felt in a moment like this. Thank God that Paul did not shrink back in fear of man in this instance. Don't you think it would have been easy to just overlook that? It it could have been. Everybody else was, even Barnabas. But Paul had said before that he was not interested in the praise of man, but the praise and glory of God alone. We need to be reminded of the central focus of glorifying God alone or else we will never stand up to sin and error like this, ever. We'll just cower away. We will just instead shrink back in the fear of man. So I want to encourage us all, church, all of us, we must be a church where we do not put up with either false doctrine or false behavior. Behavior that is out of step with the gospel is almost even more dangerous than blatant, clear, false doctrine. For we can spot false doctrine, right, from a mile away. When we see doctrinal issues come in, let's say someone comes in and is espousing false doctrine. Let's say they're denying uh, the Trinity clearly. They don't believe in the Trinity, and as we know of some the false teachers that, 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 that teach that, we'd be able to recognize that, we'd be able to spot it from a mile away, warn against it, teach against it. In fact, I will teach against that kind of thing because the scriptures are so clear. But if someone who claims to be a believer but seems to always be acting inconsistently, like maybe gossiping about others, for instance, that kind of thing is much more subtle, right? Right? But I want you to see that the false practice is equally as gospel denying. Because though a person might preach and talk about unity and love and the ministry of the church and all these good things, all the things that they say they believe, don't we see that in practice, how we act, how they act, reveals in our behavior, It demonstrates something about what really is going on. And when we see a practice out of step with the gospel, we see someone who's being inconsistent. So we all must examine ourselves to seek to live in a consistent way with what we say that we believe. So what we believe and how we act kind of mesh together. And I want you all to see that nobody's exempt from this problem. The fear of man is pervasive as we've already seen. And sometimes acting out of step or different than what we profess is something that we all must be aware of. I am susceptible of this. You're susceptible of this. If Peter and Barnabas and the other believing Jewish Christians fell into this great error, like I said over and over again, we are susceptible too. We need to be warned here. And we must be vigilant to align our living with what we say that we believe and to hold each other accountable as well. If Paul simply looked the other way out of so-called peace and, and anything like that, then the church of Antioch would have been split. Thank God for the boldness of Paul to address Peter here, his brother in Christ. And also thank God What we see here is that Peter and Barnabas and the other Jews, they likely all repented of their sinful and inconsistent gospel-denying conduct as well. Because Paul brings this up as an example, not only to show us that he's a true apostle and to show them that he's a true apostle, but also to show him that no one is exempt from the temptation of gospel-denying conduct. And this reveals, doesn't it, the urgency of protecting the gospel at all costs. We all need to guard our own hearts against these problems and to watch out for one another and to even address it with each other when we see conduct that is out of step with the gospel. We got, you need to say something to somebody. Hey, stop, we need to stop talking about that and gossiping in that way. We need to, you need to stop doing this inconsistent and, it causes divisions. Stop that. Why, why do you always act differently around these other people in these other groups than you do around these others? Would you be saying that around them if they were there in that room? Why, why are you going that way? Stop acting in legalistic ways, adding rules and expectations for others that are not in the Bible. Don't be showing a kind of favoritism to certain people. This is wrong and it's sinful. We need to help each other out by pointing out the the sin that we see to help bring each other under the accountability of the gospel. Because to be clear here, just because somebody needs to be corrected doesn't mean that that person is an unbeliever if they stumble into sinful practices. For Peter, Barnabas... And the other Jewish Christians were believers, and they got caught up into this terrible behavior. So it doesn't mean they're not Christians, but what it does mean is that they need to be called out to repent of their sinful ways. And thankfully, we see the kind of unity in later letters between Peter and Paul that they wrote when they mentioned each other, that Peter clearly repented of his sin here. Paul won his brother over. Barnabas repented. He won them over. They did ministry later together. And other Christians were won over by Paul and repented from the error of their ways. And now here in Galatians, Paul is using this bad example of Peter as a warning for the Galatian churches. And also a warning for First Baptist Church of Gallatin, as well. And every other Christian church that would be out there. A warning not to drift away from the gospel in our conduct. Peter had drifted. He used to eat without any issues with all the Gentiles because God had made all foods clean and he also was calling Gentiles all all over to equal salvation and he was seeing both Gentiles and Jewish Christians be saved. But Peter's actions that he displayed there in Antioch, when certain new folk came from Jerusalem and they came around to Antioch, he revealed that he hypocritically denied gospel unity and revealed where he was at because of fear of other people. We need to heed the warnings from this passage here at our church. So, as I began our sermon with a, picture of segregation and our church Christmas fellowship meal that we're going to be partaking of really soon, let us remember the example that Paul gives us here and live and act with one another, even in this upcoming meal and every other meal and every other interaction and meeting and whatever that we have in the future, let us act in a consistent way that aligns with the truth of the gospel and the unity that we should be displaying. But also let this passage warn you to watch out for your own subtle drift that may rise up in your heart as you watch out for your brothers and sisters here in this church as well. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful that you give us such practical directions that directly relate to our church and how we interact. Would you help us all to turn away from disunity and from hypocrisy? Would you help us to live consistently with what we believe and the way that we treat and act with others? We need your help in this because we know that our hearts could be pulled away and we could be caught off guard and off track, and we can act in certain ways that are cowardly and that are inconsistent and that are sinful. Would you help us uh, to, to be able to repent for those things and to be watching out for one another as a family watches out for one another? Help our church care for one another, encourage one another, watch out for one another, and live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to live as we believe and believe as we live. We say this in Christ's name. Amen.